0: you didn't do. Maybe it was a teacher or a coach. Maybe a spouse. I don't know. But you've been accused of doing or not doing something maybe you should have done. You know, I had a couple of cousins. They found ways to get me in trouble. I had enough ways to get me in trouble. I didn't need their help. All right. And uh, these guys would come to town every so often. And I just remember two times specifically. One time was on a Sunday. Okay, we came in rushing in from church and there was a beautiful birthday cake there. And and I just came in. I went up to my bedroom. I'm changing. And I hear Stephen. Actually, it's probably more like from my mom, Stephen Paul. And I'm like, what? I just came. Did you put your finger in this cake? I'm like, I knew better than that, all right? We went through it around and around. Come to find out, it was my cousin who did it, and he was pinning it on me, all right? I was innocent. My hands were clean of frosting. There was no frosting on these fingers, but then, like, the next time they came, and this is a silly one, but I, these are the things that stick in this feeble mind, all right? Another time they came, and we're getting ready for all the company and everything, and, and I hadn't, you know, cleaned up my room like I should. Students, kids, whatever, you know what it is. You've been told five times to clean your room at least, and you still, yeah, I see agreement on the front row down here. You still haven't done it. So what do you do? You Quickly grab everything and stuff it in the closet, in the drawers, under the bed, wherever it goes. And you grab the vacuum and you run over it. And I vacuumed my my whole room. But my cousin's sitting right there. And somehow he didn't like how I did it. He tells my dad that I didn't vacuum my room. I'm like, you could hear the vacuum running. Now, granted, I did it faster than the average mother might do it. Okay? It might not have been quite as clean. But I felt my hands were clean. I had vacuumed my room. I was innocent of the charges. You know, innocent or not, you know, I had plenty of other reasons that I was guilty, that they could have found plenty of things that could have gotten me in a whole lot of trouble throughout my life, right? But the the thing that we see in this passage before us today that I want you to consider is that Jesus was on trial. But he was completely innocent. Not just of the charges that were before him that day. It wasn't that he just needed a good defense attorney to point out that that he was innocent of these charges. He was innocent. Period. He had never committed any sin. He was guiltless. Not before man, but before God. He was innocent of anything. And everything ever. And so in our passage, we find that he was even proclaimed to be guiltless. But because of the pressures of the crowd, this man, Pilate, ended up sending him on down towards his crucifixion. he was condemned, but innocent. So we want to look at this trial today of Jesus before Pilate or Pilate on trial before Jesus. And we'll understand why I say that in a few minutes. But let's think about our setting this morning. First of all, we want to remember Judas' betrayal. Because if you've been here any length of time, you know we've been moving through the gospel of Jesus according to John. In the book of John, to see to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and then how we are to respond to him throughout our lives. And a few weeks ago, we came up upon the betrayal of Judas in John eighteen one through 11. And he went out and, and betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then we find that they came to the garden with officers from the temple and soldiers, Roman soldiers, to arrest Jesus. And then we follow up that betrayal with Peter's denials. And last week we learned about Peter's denials, how he denied Christ, though he swore he would never deny Christ. He did. And in that we find a lot of ourselves and how so easily we are we're tempted to run and to, to hide when the spotlight is on us as believers. And then we see this progression of trials as it moves through. And John doesn't cover every one of the trials. a matter of fact, he leaves out a couple of them. But the trials sort of go like this. And if you're like me, it helps you to put everything in context when you hear it like this. So the first trial was they brought him before to the high priest's home. And he was brought before Annas. And Annas then sent him to the high priest that year, Caiaphas. OK, we read that in John eighteen twenty four, And then what isn't recorded here in John was the high priest then brought in the Sanhedrin or the council. OK, that was the highest court in the land. He, they, he brought them in. and We read about that in Luke chapter 22, verses 66 through 71. So you got Annas, Caiaphas, and now you have the, the council with the high priest. And today we read about Pilate. They bring him to Pilate. Okay, And we're going to find here that John takes two trials, really, and sort of packs them into one little segment. And he leaves out one part where, here in the middle of all this, basically Pilate says, hey, this isn't mine. Sends him over to Herod, and Herod says, ha ha, nice try, and sends him right back and, and leaves him in Pilate's court. And we see all that just packaged together with just Pilate and Jesus. Okay, so that's where we're at today. That's that passage that we began reading today. So what's important about Pilate? What do we know about him and how does that play into this whole setting? He presided over the trial. He made a a strange decision in the end. And as a matter of fact, usually, why do we even know the names of judges? Usually we don't have any knowledge of the names of judges unless we hear some big ruling from the Supreme Court and the the chief justice speaks out. I would guess that there's a number of us in here who probably couldn't even name the chief justice of the United States right now. We just don't think about judges that much. And I see a lot of people going, "Okay, just a minute. Um, Not sure. Is it Thurgood Marshall? That was another decade, another, you know, almost half a century ago. Um, So we don't remember very many judges. We might remember Judge Ito. Anybody remember Judge Ito? Yeah, anybody? Yeah, so, okay, the O.J. Simpson trial, right? Okay, some of you remember that. Um, How many of you remember um, Judge Judy? See, you remember her, but... Not for all the best reasons in the world. So we don't remember that many judges. As a matter of fact, when the judges come up on the ballot, usually I have to call up our our attorney brother, Steve Kincaid, and say, "Okay, I know none of these people. Tell me about them, Okay, Let me know a little bit about these judges. Because otherwise I'd go in there and go, I don't know. So I won't vote for anybody, you know. We just, we don't usually think about that. But here we have the governor who is making a decision, making a judgment about Jesus so let's find out a little bit about this man. He was appointed by, as governor of Judea in A.D. 26, and he served there for about 11 years, to AD, 20, A.D. 37. He was openly hostile to the Jews, and that plays into our story today. As a matter of fact, he brought some Roman standards that had the image of the emperor into the city, and the Jews threw a hissy fit. OK, because to them, those were idols and they could not be there. As a matter of fact, this got really a, turned into a big deal. They stood at a stand in around his big abode there and they did this for five days. And finally, he got fed up with it and said, I tell you what, I will send my soldiers out and I'm going to lop off your heads if you don't move. You know what they did? They laid down and they bared their neck and said, hack away. OK. And as a result, Pilate said, oh, I didn't know they're going to take it this far. OK. And so he backed away. He and he removed the standards and another incident of hostilities. Pilate brought the shields of the Roman emperor into the holy place in the temple. It goes from bad to worse. That didn't go well. All right. At all. As a matter of fact, the sons of Herod appealed to the, the emperor and the emperor commanded Pilate to remove the shields. So now he's not only in bad with the Jews, he's in bad with the emperor, okay? What's going on over there, Herod, or or Pilate? Then Pilate stirred up protest again when he took treasure from the temple. This guy does not learn. And in that incident, it sparked a Jewish protest, which Pilate quelled by sending in his soldiers. And some Jews were actually killed in that, causing political issues in Rome for Pilate. There's some transitioning in the leadership in Rome, and Pilate was not in a very good place. He was on a very short leash at this point, and uh, he, could not, he couldn't have anything else really go wrong for him, or, or he was going to be basically canned. But that's not all. But wait, there's more. Okay, Pilate was not learning his lessons. Okay, so a governor in that day could, could make his own coins and put on them whatever image he wants. He could choose whatever image. So what does Pilate do? He makes some copper coins and he put on them the images of pagan religion of the day. Oh, Man. That also caused an uproar another outrage in the eyes of Jews. A new emperor had taken the throne and basically said, OK, one more. And Pilate, you're out. You're out. You're done. And so that's where we find this. This is a kind of a, a momentous time. And don't think that that's by coincidence. Right. There is God's will at work and man's responsibility go at work here in all of this. God is carrying out his purposes but foolish man is living out his foolish life and Pilate has made a lot of dumb dumb decisions. That's why it matters. Pilate was in a position of weakened and tenuous uh, power by the time Jesus stood before him, especially in relationship to these Jewish leaders. He had to appease these Jews. He had to do something to make this go away as easily and as quietly as possible. Little did he know, that he was participating in the grandest yet most horrific event in all of human history. As he presided over the trial of Jesus leading to the death of Jesus, which led to our hope and our salvation in Christ. It's mind-boggling. And the more you sit and think about it, the more it just sort of blows you away. But Pilate was faced with a predicament in which he was forced to choose between the truth presented in the person of Jesus and the lies presented by the Jewish leaders. So we're going to look at this trial today and see, we'll see here that Pilate's character and his sinfulness were put on full display for all of us to see for all time. Because we see that in the end, the decision he made was really a political decision, a power grab, if you will, an appeasement um, of the Jewish people. And in the end, It wasn't Jesus on trial because he was declared innocent and he was innocent. It was Pilate on trial. So in this sham of a trial before Pilate, we see three things that we want to point out to you today. First of all, we see the Jews' hypocrisy revealed, that the Jews' hypocrisy revealed their selfish motives and fulfilled Jesus' words. Look at verses 28 and 29 of John chapter 18. It says, then they, the Jewish leaders, led Jesus from from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. Remember, they're leaving the house of Caiaphas where they would have met with the council and the high priest. And they have basically had three trials in a row where they have said, guilty, guilty, guilty. They've decided he was guilty long before this, folks. Remember back when we studied about Lazarus in John chapter 11? They had already decided he's got to die. He's This guy's got to go. It was early morning here in verse 28. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Remember, it's the Passover week, and it's not just one Passover meal, though there is one that is sort of the Passover meal. There are a whole series of feasts that are going on. So these guys are wanting to to stay ceremonially clean so that they can have part in this big celebration. It's the biggest week of the year after all. So they... Did not go into the headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them. Probably didn't put him in the best of moods that here these Jews are demanding something else from him. And here you go. I've got to go out to these Jewish leaders who have such a demand. Okay. so think about this. The praetorium was a Gentile home. Jews could not enter the home of a Gentile, a non-Jew, without being ceremonially unclean. That took about a week for them to go through a process to be declared clean, ceremonially clean, so that they could then partake in the different religious actions in the temple and the different feasts that were going on. Well, so if one of them went in, he was he was out for the week. I mean, this is the big week of the year. All right, this is the Tipton Pork Festival, folks. Okay, it's way bigger than that. Okay, you understand it. There was no pork involved. (laughs) Some of you will get that later. This was a big deal. And they didn't want to miss out. This was, they had their own selfish motives, first of all, for staying outside. They didn't want to dirty themselves. Think of the irony of this. They don't want to defile themselves so that they can partake in this religious feast so that they can be acceptable before God. And they are lying and deceiving and conniving their way to having the Messiah, the Son of God, with whom they're supposed to be looking forward to through the Passover, sending Him to His death. Oh my word! That should blow our minds. They even accuse him later saying, well, he claims to be the Messiah, the Christ. Yeah, he 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 does claim that. He kind of is. The one that you're supposed to be celebrating this week. And they are lying and conniving their way to get rid of him. To get him off the scene. That they can have their power back. That they don't have to worry about this uprising of Jesus' followers. What irony. But we not only have irony and hypocrisy, look at the animosity between Pilate and these Jewish leaders. So he walks out and here's what he sort of, here's what he asked in in verse 29 through 31. We see this back and forth. What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. A little bit snarky, a little bit, a little bit rough. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. Now we understand why they're there. They are there not to condemn Jesus. They've already done that. They've said three times he's guilty. Annas, Caiaphas, and then the Sanhedrin. They don't want Pilate to render a judgment. They want Pilate to just send Jesus onto the cross. They want him dead and off the scene. But think back to the history here. These same Jewish leaders are the same Jewish leaders who many of them had stood outside and bared their neck. They were the same Jewish leaders who protested over and over as he made his foolish decisions in governance. They didn't have a good relationship. And so when he makes, it, he makes the statement, what accusation do you bring, they're a little ticked off. You know why? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I hadn't until this week. He already knew. They sent Roman soldiers to the garden to arrest Jesus. You don't just as a temple, as the high priest or whatever, say, hey, I want some Roman soldiers. And they send them. It didn't like that. You've got to make a case for getting those Roman soldiers to send them. So he took Roman soldiers and the temple guard, temple officers, with him. Pilate already knew. He knew the charges. Or he would never have sent his soldiers. And let me tell you, they were his soldiers in his mind. Okay, So he's like, what charge do you bring? And they're like, come on now. We've already told you. Would we bring him to you if we had not already sort of run through this with our leaders? We've brought him to you now because you need to, t- to carry out the death penalty for us. See, that's where this, this lands because Rome, in all of the freedoms that they provided, they did not allow, as a general rule, they did not allow nations the right to execute people. That's something they held for themselves. That was Rome's responsibility. So simply put, the Jewish leaders wanted Pilate to do their dirty work so they could get back to their Passover feasting. They wanted to stay ceremonially clean so they can eat. And they wanted to give this over to Pilate and go, it's yours, Pilate. Take it on from here. Kill him because we can't do it. It hadn't changed from back when their Jewish mob decided we're going to take out Jesus and then decided, you know what, we might take out Lazarus too because he, his resurrection is causing some people to think Jesus is the real deal. See, in John, John writes in verse 32 this, and he, to this he's referring to the turning over of Jesus to Pilate, to the, the Roman authority. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken by what kind of death, he was going to die. You see, Jesus had, had talked about being lifted up, that he would must, be lifted up that all men might be drawn to him. Jesus knew and communicated clearly that he was to die on a tree. And so, folks, this happened both to carry out the will of God, but also done by the hands of evil, conniving men. No one forced Jesus to the cross. But Pilate and the Jews were responsible for crucifying, condemning and crucifying an innocent man. The Father willed it. The Son obeyed it. The Father's will. Men sinfully and rebelliously condemned and crucified an innocent man man and the Son of God. God's ultimate purpose was fulfilled by the hands of sinful men. And we read about that in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, 20, 22 through 23 says this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered it up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And then in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Bottom line is they were responsible, but God's will was carried out. You see, Pilate, as he stands here in this trial, Couldn't argue with the fact that if Jesus was guilty of a capital crime, then indeed it was his responsibility to give the orders for execution. So when they dumped this over on him, they said, hey, we've already judged, basically. It's in your court. He had to make some kind of decision. It was now on him, and they knew that. So he took him inside, and that's what we see next in verse 33. We see Pilate's Pilate's questions reveal both his sinful heart and Christ's purpose as he takes him into his headquarters and talks to him. Pilate entered his headquarters, verse 33, and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and said, I find no guilt in him. Because John doesn't record the charges here before we we read this, the charges from the Jews. Pilate's question, are you the king of the Jews, seems a little bit abrupt. However, in Luke 23... We find that charge given. Luke records it. And it says, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is, a Christ, is the Christ, a Christ, a king. So they charge him with claiming to be the Messiah. They don't say that he is the Messiah. They say that he claims to be a Christ or a king. They know the way to get Pilate on their side is this. Convince Pilate. That this man in front of him wants to stir up trouble and has some sort of desire to overthrow any little bit of, of Rome. He doesn't need the trouble. And if he thinks this is a threat, then they know that he'll just get rid of them. Pilate will gladly kill somebody just to have that threat extinguished. And so they just throw that out there for him to work about this, work through this with Jesus. Their charge struck enough of a nerve with Pilate that he could not ignore this potential threat, however small he thought Jesus' threat to be. I'm sure he was quite aware of this following of Jesus. Likely, he had seen, or at least heard of, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem just a week previously. So he had to get to the bottom of this matter. He had to get to the truth. Or did he? It wasn't the truth he was after. He wanted to know how could he wash his hands of this matter. So inside his headquarters, Pilate got right to the point. Okay, so we're walking through the story. We're seeing how these different characters interplay. And as we do, we've already seen how the Jewish hypocrisy revealed their selfish intentions. Let's just get back to our feasting and let's get rid of this man, Jesus, once and for all. Now we're looking at Pilate and we're looking how his conversation with Jesus is going to reveal some truths about his heart. So Pilate gets right to the point. Is Jesus the usurper that the Jewish leaders say he is? Is he a threat to Pilate's power? Is he going to, to cause the tribute for Pilate to go down, you know, the taxes? Man, can't have that. We can't have taxes going down, right? We know that even today. Taxes can't go down. They can only go up. And for him, this was really important because he got paid from those taxes. And the more taxes there were, not only the more pay he got, but also the more approval he got in Rome. All right? It was was a big deal. He needed this tribute. And he didn't need some guy stirring up trouble. So when they say, oh, they're Jesus telling people don't pay tribute to Rome. Oh, it's gotten personal now. My, his budget is now being affected, right? And uh, we already know that he's already st- basically stolen from the temple to do things. So he'll stop at nothing to protect his money. So is he going to cause trouble for Pilate? And so we ask him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you their Christ or their Messiah? So in answer to Pilate's question, Jesus turns the tables right back around on him with a question of his own. He's like... Did you come up with that on your own? Did, you know Is that something you worked up? Is this what you think, or are you simply repeating what you've heard the Jewish leaders say? And Pilate blew him off with this. Well, how could I know? I'm no Jew. I'm, do you think I'm a Jew? He asked the question. Am I a Jew? An obvious question is no, but his point is here. I'm not the one who can evaluate whether you're, you know, blaspheming if you're the Messiah. I don't even know what this Messiah thing is. Am I a Jew that I should be making these decisions? And so Jesus, again, again, throws him off with another question. Jesus, with another statement. He, when Pilate asked the question, I'm sorry, I'm used to a mic that I have On, and because of the baptism, I didn't can't walk away from here. It's it's getting me a little antsy. Sorry, it didn't answer him with a question yet. Pilate asked, asked, he asked a question What have you done to lead them to think this? What have you done? Why do they think that you don't want people to pay taxes, and why do they think that you're a king? What are you doing? And so, what does Jesus do? Jesus simply presents. The truth. Look again at the passage. It says, you, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. Verse 35, what have you done? And Jesus' response is this. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. He basically says, Pilate, does it look like I'm building an earthly kingdom? Because if I am this is what you'd expect to be happening. You'd expect my people to be fighting like crazy right now, to be battling back against the Jews so that I would not be handed over. Notice, though, what he doesn't do. He doesn't deny that he is a king. He simply denies that the nature of his kingdom is as the Jews understand it to be, or that as Pilate might be thinking. He points to what he and his followers are not doing. They're not fighting to resist. What are they doing? What is he doing? Like a lamb led to slaughter. Like a lamb before slaughter, Jesus went into this suffering. Neither Pilate or the Jews understood the nature and authority of Jesus. They knew one kind of kingdom. And to one of this world, it was the one Pilate believed was of his own making. Jesus had come on a kingdom mission. That's why he came into the world. He'd come to build a kingdom, but not one made with man's hands, but one built by the word of God and by the spirit of God. You see, what are the kingdoms of this world made of? They're made of military might, intellectual prowess, political cunning, financial abundance, social advantage, all these things. But these kingdoms come and go. Think about all the kingdoms that have come and gone. But the kingdom that Jesus spoke of would endure forever. Here are some of the kingdoms that have come and gone. The Persian Empire. They're still uncovering some of the glorious stuff that is over there in the Middle East from the Persian Empire. Amazing, beautiful architecture. Incredible riches. We read about it through the Old Testament. That was ultimately defeated by Alexander the Great of the Greek Empire. In the Far East, you have Genghis Khan of the Mongol Empire, the Roman Empire with all of its Caesars. The Arab Empire, the Caliphate, was huge and, and, and for for hundreds of years. Akbar of India, which we probably most of you aren't, aren't familiar with, had amazing power. Queen Elizabeth I, who ruled England at arguably its zenith of power. These are people, these are kingdoms built on might and power and money. And then you think of Solomon. And where was Solomon by this point? Solomon was dead and gone. And his kingdom had been broken up. These empires have passed away. And in some cases, all that remains are a people within a nation of some of these. But in contrast, in contrast, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, was, is founded on truth that is unchanging and eternal and enduring forever. And that is not something that Pilate could get. Pilate didn't get it, and he responded with a question—a throwaway question that much has been made of, but I'm not sure that it was intended to be a real probing question. Like, "What is truth?" It was more like, "What is truth? Show me. Show me money. Show me power. Show me wisdom. Show me. You show me something. You, You tell me to look at what my. What have you done?" Jesus says, "We're not fighting." Well, then, what do you got? You got nothing. You got truth? I'll tell you what truth is. It's my decision that comes out of here that's going to be the truth. All right? That's truth for today. Pilate wasn't impressed. It was a throwaway question. Pilate spurned Jesus' choice for truth over power. In Pilate's mind, it's what he wanted to be. Whatever he wanted to be was truth. And he opted for the world, his world, his might, his power, his kingdom, Over Jesus. And in doing so, he revealed a heart deceived by the promise of position, power, and money. And, folks, don't you know, that's where we live. We live in a world where we so easily choose what we see and what we can experience over Jesus. We want what we can see right now. We want today. We want to be gratified and satisfied today. The future, eternity, Eternal matters, hmm, I'll think about it if I, you know, happen to go through a difficult time. I'll think about it then. Pilate made the mistake of opting for the world over Jesus. And in doing so, he revealed his heart. That his heart was deceived by the promise of position, power, and money. Finally, we see here a third thing. And that's that Pilate's judgment condemned the innocent in the place of the guilty. So... He's walked through all this with Jesus. He understands that some kind of kingdom or, or nation built on truth. Not sure what that means. Not sure where Jesus is going with that. But he doesn't feel any kind of threat. He doesn't feel like Jesus is here to usurp his kingdom. Because his kingdom has nothing to do with truth, in fact. It has a whole lot to do with everything else about money, power, and position. Okay, and might. So, he devised a plan. He thinks to himself, okay, there's this cultural custom. And in this cultural custom, what we do is, I release somebody that they want, and then we'll make a little trade here. Okay? Here's what he thought, I believe, that just based on what we see here. Barabbas was a known felon. He was, at the very least, there's a general word for robber. It's thought that he was more than just a robber. He was an insurrectionist. He was a guy who had already openly opposed Rome. And they thought, he thought, no way. Well, they want a guy who is a known insurrectionist, who Rome hates. There's no way they're going to want to have this guy die. He's innocent over this Barabbas guy. And so when he goes back out and offers this deal, he thinks he's got them. He really thinks that they're going to go, oh, okay, our bad. You just let Jesus go. But what he didn't know that he was the one who was going to be ultimately in the catch 22 because they said, give us Barabbas, you crucify him. Give us the known felon, you take this man and crucify him. And look what this does to poor Pilate. Now he has already said this guy is not guilty. But now they've put back on him, you said, you said you'd swap. So who now is the one who in Rome's eyes has made the decision to crucify this innocent man? Pilate. He's the one who offered the deal. And so now we have a situation where an innocent innocent man is now being condemned. And you think of this swap and it's described in a way that is much bigger than just the swap between Barabbas and Jesus. In that little small picture we see the broader scope of what has really happened. As 2 Corinthians 5:21 says, the innocent we find there died for the guilty. For all time, 2 Corinthians 5:21 says for our sake. And we know what our sake is. We're the guilty. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, in Christ, the innocent one, there was a swap. There's a swap available for all who will, by faith, trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Who will come to him by faith and say, Lord, you were innocent and in our place you stood. That by one man, Romans 5 says, by one man. That we might be made righteous as we by faith trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on our cross as an innocent man, the son of God, who died to take away the sins of the world. You see, Pilate basically condemned an innocent man unintentionally through his little political gamesmanship, that it was him sort of trying to get the Jews and the Jews trying to get him. In the end, the Jews won. And we find here that we're left with a swap, a prisoner swap. The guilty for the innocent, the innocent for the guilty. Pilate loved this present world. And in doing so, he rejected Christ. He rejected his kingdom, he j- rejected his truth, He rejected him as a man, and he condemned him to die, as a worthless human being in Pilate's eyes. Just get it done. Pilate loved this present world. First John warns us of this. First John 2:15 through 17, "Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Pilate chose his position of power, his earthly kingdom, and appeasement over Christ. He chose it over the kingdom of truth. And you see, this is a decision we make every day. What will we do with the truth of Christ? What will we do with one who is the one who, who existed before time and will forever exist? The one who came from heaven and died that we might live. What will we do with him? What will we do with that truth? You see... It's all kinds of stuff that we buy into, all kinds of lies, all kinds of deceptions that we buy. We buy the deception that we can be just completely comfortable and find our happiness. We can find our happiness and, and complete rest through recreation. That maybe the lie of, that some of us have bought into is the lie of riches or popularity. Or, or if we're just beautiful enough, we'll be accepted and, and be part of the beautiful people. Or, or maybe it's through friends and, and acceptance of them. We buy into a whole lot of lies and we will sell our souls for whatever that lie is. But you know what's going to happen? Those friends are going to pass away. That money's going to be gone. You're going to be gone. And forever, all those things that have promised you happiness and joy and fulfillment and peace have gone. And very possibly, in going, have destroyed you. How many lives have been destroyed by the promise of peace through drugs and alcohol? How many lives and families have been destroyed through greater happiness, through illicit sex, and all these things? People just, we just buy these lies. And they're empty and destructive. Dear friend, today are you caught between living for your kingdom that kingdom that is defined by any number of these things we've just talked about, loving the deceitful pleasures of the world, rather than hearing and listening to and obeying and believing in the voice of truth, Jesus Christ. Where are you today? Don't be like Pilate. Or your own actions, your own words will be your own judge, Revelation tells us. That by your deeds, you'll be judged. It's not saying that you're going to get to heaven that way, but by your deeds, it will demonstrate what are you banking on? Pilate this day, his deeds communicated very, very clearly. I live for this world and this world alone, son of man, Jesus Christ, away with you and made the swap. See, eleven, Hebrews eleven six tells us that we have one way to live and that's by faith. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Day by day, reject what is the world's promises, those deceptive promises of the world. Believe what God says about life and eternity. This is living by faith. You see, it's not only by faith that we're saved. For salvation, we let go of what is deceitful and passing, and we hold on to Christ for our salvation. And, and in Him, we find hope and life eternal. But it's also for our daily living, for our what we call sanctification, for growing in Christlikeness. We live by faith. Day by day, we reject what the world promises, and we believe what God says about His kingdom, His eternal kingdom. And we reject the lies that we are hearing in our heads and in our, with our eyes and around us day by day. That's how we live. That's the essence of the Christian life. Of both beginning with faith in Christ and then living by faith in Christ. Daily rejecting and repenting from those things that would so easily draw us away and entice us. Instead say, no, no, I want Christ. I want the truth. I want his kingdom that lasts forever, rather than my kingdom which will be gone like a flower of the field, here today and gone tomorrow. Dear friend, are you living for the kingdom that will last? Or are you living for a kingdom of your own making, a kingdom of your own choosing here on earth that will pass away today? Won't you trust Christ? And if today you have trusted Christ as your savior, won't you be reminded of these precious truths that he bore our sorrows that we might have him and eternal life and his kingdom that will forever endure? Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, thank you for this, this accounting of what happened there before Pilate this day. Lord, help our hearts to be laid bare even as we saw into Pilate's heart today, help us to see the truth about our hearts and how that we are so easily drawn away and enticed by the stuff of this world, the lies that promise us everything and give us nothing more than a passing pleasure. And God, help us to rest and trust in you and you alone. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.